Isaiah writes, For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, fomenting oppression and revolt, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, men will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. Last week I I reread a book uh, that I believe my kids first read called Hatchet. If you've read it before, or if you haven't, it's the story of a a young boy, 13, 14 years old, who is going to visit his father who lives in in Canada. And as he is on a Cessna with just a a pilot, the pilot has a heart attack, dies, and the boy manages to crash land the plane without killing himself. And all he has on himself after the plane sinks into a lake is a hatchet. He pulls himself out of the plane, swims to shore, gets eaten alive by mosquitoes, and the next morning begins to think about his chances of survival. It doesn't take him long to realize that the pilot, when he had his heart attack, hit the yoke of the plane and so put them off course. He realizes that they were flying a good four or five hours before they crashed, So it wasn't though he was just a little bit off course, but he was probably in a place that people wouldn't even begin to look for the plane. It wasn't long for the boy to figure out that there was no one coming. Have you ever had that feeling? Maybe not quite the same circumstances as the boy stuck in the middle of the Canadian wilderness, but perhaps you were moving and so you asked some of your friends to come over and help and you said, we're going to start at 10 and I don't know, by 11.30 you began to figure out that no one was coming. Perhaps you experienced it as a child, right? That you invited a whole bunch of people over to your house and you waited eagerly for them And pretty soon the time passed, and then it was 15 minutes, and then a half hour passed. And with a bit of a dejected heart, you realized no one is coming. 
I imagine in a small part it's what Isaiah felt. Isaiah was a, a prophet in a difficult time to be a prophet in the, in the country of Israel. The northern kingdom had already fallen away. Isaiah was, was a prophet in the southern kingdom of, of Judah. And as he proclaimed God's word, he was doing it to a people who didn't want to hear what he had to say. To Isaiah, it must have seemed at, as though at times there was no one else. He, he looked at the covenant God had established with his people. A covenant that every time he looked and, and everywhere he looked was being broken. He recognized his own inability to keep any sort of a good relationship with God. And so he confesses in Isaiah 59, in those opening words, his sins, doesn't he? He says, our offenses, not just his own, but the, his fellow countrymen. Our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, fomenting oppression and revolt, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. He knew God's expectation for him. God had said, I want you to be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. I want you to be perfect and righteous. And Isaiah knew in his own heart of hearts that he wasn't righteous. He wasn't holy. And he knew his fellow countrymen weren't either. From Isaiah's perspective, it may have seemed as though there were well, that there was no one. And God would rightly agree. God looked at the Israelites and said, there's, there's no one. There was no one who had kept his decrees and his commands. It's why he, he as he inspired Isaiah to write these words, he, he used three different words for sin. Uh, one of the words describes rebellion against God, Right? That, that rebellion that lives in each of our hearts and our lives as we, we know and hear what God wants us to do. What he, we, we know and hear what God wants, how God wants us to live as his children. And we rebel and do the opposite. One of the words describes falling short of God's, uh, of God's expectation. Our conscience reminds us of that all the time, doesn't it? Every last sin and the guilt that comes with it reminds us that we haven't met God's standard, that we failed and we've fallen short. The third word that, that Isaiah uses talks about a perversion of God's will, right? That, that God has a certain will for us, that he wants us, how he wants us to live and instead, what we often do is exert our own will and say, I, I think I either I know what's better or I know what I want, and so I'm going to do that. Isaiah was able to look at his own life and knew he had failed. He uses three different words to really cover all the, the basis and emphasize how as children of God, we've failed. That there's no one. You and I are no different. It's why the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans writes in chapter 3, quoting one of the Psalms, that there is no one who does good. Not even one. 
Right? There isn't any wiggle room there. That, that God paints with this broad brush and said, as I, as I look at the world I've created, as I look at the creatures I've created, what I see is sin and rebellion. There's no one. And while we could rightly expect that God might just throw up his hands and give up, that he would turn his back and walk away, or that he'd do the exact opposite and completely just wipe everything out, instead as he looks, Isaiah says, he looks and he saw that there was no one, and so what does God do? So his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. There was no one. And so what God does is he rolls up his sleeves and he works salvation out for us. Right? We hear God describe himself almost as though he is going to war, right? He puts on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, words that might echo echo and remind us of Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he talks about us doing the same thing, right? God puts on that breastplate of righteousness, that that perfection that he expects and demands of us, and he goes to war against sin and the devil. He goes to war for you and I who can't keep God's standards, who fail at every turn, who rebel against God when it's convenient, and oftentimes even when we don't even know it. He puts on the breastplate of righteousness so that he could assure each one of us that in God's eyes we've been made perfect. He puts on the helmet of salvation as he defeats death and the devil and rescues us not only from sin but the punishment that our sins deserve. With the breastplate of righteousness and that helmet of salvation, he's able to come to each one of us and tell us, in spite of who you are and in spite of what you've done, I love you, and I forgive you. He looks and says there was no one, so he becomes the one to save us from our sin, from our unrighteousness. So that you and I are able to look at our Savior and see the one who not only forgives but gives us eternal life. You and I could, could look around our world and still say There's, there is no one. I would look at my own life and say there is not an, an, an inch of me that is remotely good. Sure, I might have my, my hours maybe where I'm able to go without actively sinning by, by my actions, Or I might be able to go a few minutes without speaking an unkind word. I might even be able to go a few moments without a sinful thought or attitude or motivation in my heart. But at the end of the day, I have to confess with Isaiah, my sins are many in your sight, O God. There is no one only to hear my God respond, there is no one like me. No one like me who's come to do what you could not. There's no one like me 
who has come and worked your salvation, forgiven your sin, made you righteous in God's eyes, and then called you his child. There is no one quite like our Savior. Amen. Our Savior Lutheran Church is located on the south side of Birmingham off Highway 280. We are on Dunnett Valley Road, about three quarters of a mile east of Treetop Family Adventure and Sports Blast. Our Sunday services begin at 1015 with Sunday School and Bible Class at 9 o'clock. We welcome visitors and hope to see you soon. For more information, please visit our website at OurSaviorBirmingham.com. Click on Sermons at the top of the page for a copy of today's service folder. You can also find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.